From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. We've got a special episode for you today, an important episode for you all today as well. But before we get into it, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to Film Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for weekly episodes where we not only interview LADFF filmmakers like we're doing today, we also interview filmmakers with new theatrical releases. And of course, we do our patented themed Give Me Three episodes. So like, subscribe, and comment. We definitely want to hear your thoughts on today's episode as well. But as I mentioned today, we have a special episode, not one, but two guests to discuss their gripping and eye-opening film, In the Dark of the Valley, which is playing in person, everybody, at LADFF on August 5th. So get your tickets today. We've got with us today director and producer of that documentary, Nicholas Mim. And we've got activist, artist, community organizer, mom, and full-time superhero, Melissa Bumstead. Thank you both for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Did I miss anything, Melissa, in the intro? Oh, no, that's, I mean, that's better than I would have given myself. (laughs) Superhero. Superhero. (laughs) So this is a very powerful film, my friends, and I want to thank you both for making it. For those who don't know about it, tell the audience about In the Dark of the Valley. In 2018, February 2018, my producing partners and I, Derek Smith and Brandon Smith, we were doing client work. And we happened to get commissioned by Change.org to do a two-minute video for a Change.org petition. And it just so happened to be Melissa's petition about the Santa Susana Field Lab just outside of Simi Valley. And when we did that petition, you know, we found out kind of the the basic information. We met Melissa. We found out there was a, a 1959 nuclear meltdown. And then we kind of realized after digging into this story that we could not fit this entire thing into a two-minute petition video mm-hmm. we you know we talked to change.org and like hey can we make this into five minutes and they said okay so it ended up being a seven minute piece about melissa about her campaign and then the, you know the video did very well but after completing that video the three of us realized that we still haven't scratched the surface mm-hmm. on this story this is so much bigger than anything we've ever come upon so we should probably take this on as a feature film, you know, quite separately from change.org, but still with their support. And we kind of took it from there. So from February 2018, I think we officially started shooting this in August of 2018, right, Melissa? And, you know, we were able to meet a ton of families that were affected by the Santa Susana Field Lab and, you know, the contamination that's coming from there. And, you know, it kind of took a life of its own. And, uh, you know, it was a three-year process making this movie. And, we got very lucky as filmmakers that we were able to stumble upon a story like Melissa's. I think it's changed a lot of people's lives. It's changed our lives for sure. Absolutely. And Melissa, can you give the audience a little bit of backstory about how the Santa Susana site has affected your life and your family? I grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is about five miles from the Santa Susana Field Lab. And I lived in LA, you know, pretty much most of my life after that, going to college. And I never heard about the Santa Susana Field Lab my entire life until my daughter was four years old in 2014. And she was diagnosed with an incredibly rare and aggressive form of leukemia. And, you know, we assumed it was bad luck. They told us it was just a a random genetic fluke and nothing that could 
have caused it. But we kept meeting other families at Children's Hospital Los Angeles while she was being treated. And they lived too close to us. We knew that pediatric cancer is incredibly rare. And it didn't make sense that even though, you know, we live in a suburbia, it's populated, but it didn't seem right that people were living down the street and down the block and behind the high school and going to our parks. And so we got a little nervous and a bunch of us, including Lauren Hammersley, who is in the film quite a bit too, we started mapping ourselves on Google Maps and saw that we all circled a big empty area. That was the first time I learned about the Santa Susana Field Lab. And with all the other parents, we started to get into the facts. We met with Dan Hirsch of Community to Bridge the Gap, Denise Duffield from Physicians for Social Responsibility Los Angeles. We started reading all the epidemiological reports and the EPA studies and found out that in addition to this being the site of one of America's worst nuclear meltdowns, there were over 30,000 rocket engine tests conducted there. There were three other nuclear accidents, major accidents at the reactors. There were dozens and dozens of toxic spills, radioactive fires, explosions that killed two scientists. I mean, it's unbelievable what happened there. And still, most people that I know in Los Angeles don't even know about it. So that was our quest is to start, especially from a parent perspective, especially after so many of us, our children had cancer and many families unfortunately buried their children. We wanted to make sure that every parent and every person who lives near the site at least gets to know about the risk they take living here and to get it fully cleaned up so that way no other children have to be diagnosed. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the key and the mission of the doc. And, you know, I think the mission of your life now, as it's turned out, is to get this site cleaned up. And obviously there is, unfortunately, it's obvious that there would be pushback of that because that's just the way things go in this country. But it is crazy that you say, like like you, Melissa, I grew up in the LA area in Southern California all my life, had never heard of the Santa Susana site until the Woolsey fire. That was the mm. first time I had heard of it, which the Woolsey fire uh, is a big element and part of the documentary as well. But it's crazy to to grow up in an area and have this massive nuclear site kind of in your backyard, not know about it, and they don't tell you about it, you kind of have to just wait for something bad to happen. <laughs> and that's when you that's when you find out about it, the unfortunate cancer diagnosis that so many families are seeing or a massive fire that is putting all of this toxic smoke into the air. It's really crazy. Yeah. And I think people don't realize how common sites, I mean, nuclear sites are a little bit still the exception, but in the rest of the California, there's so many environmental disasters in California, especially for us being the environmentalist state. Mm -hmm. And there's so many nuclear disasters across America. And I don't think anyone realizes how severe this problem is and how serious it is. And so We are hoping, like you said, especially with this amazing film, to be able to use this as a venue to help educate all of America and get this changed because pediatric cancer, it's, it's so much worse than everyone even imagines that it might be. Yeah. What was it like for you, Melissa, when Nick said, I think we should make this a feature documentary and I think I want to follow you around for the next (laughs) few years. Were you immediately open to it or were you a little hesitant to that at first? Well, I had actually been approached by a few other people and turned them all down. It just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas and Derek and Brandon are three of the most genuinely kind, respectful, goofy people that I've ever met. My kids adore them. And for me, that says a lot Mm -hmm. because this story has the potential to be told in so many different ways, ways that I wouldn't have felt comfortable with. I wouldn't have felt right if it had come out any way except exactly the way they did it. And 
So just knowing what good people they were, I was actually really super happy to find out they were actually really talented too. So (laughs) (laughs) There was Um, doubt though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the change.org video was amazing. A full feature film, especially with it being this convoluted and this many aspects. And, you know, they just did such an exceptional job. So I was very thankful, not only for the talent they had, but just, you know, I really felt like they invested in our family too and made sure that they, they told our story. And, you know, that's really a gift to me. And Nick, for you diving into, you know, doing a feature documentary, this was your first feature, correct? Uh, yeah, that's great. So it's a huge undertaking, but what was it like deciding, okay, this is going to be, we're going to make this a feature. It's going to be my first feature. It's time to just dive in. Did you have to think about it a lot or was it a decision that was easy for you? You know, that when the story came to us through change.org, and you know we were kind of discussing expanding it into the into the feature world it was an easy decision because like i said earlier you don't get stories like this you know as a storyteller as a filmmaker you know these don't just come about every day right. you know you're always looking for that story that captivates you and you know the moment that we met melissa even just like santa susanna field lab aside just meeting melissa and her journey and just hearing about the you know the struggles that she's been through her alone is captivating enough and her family is captivating enough. And, you know, that really drew us in. The decision to make the movie was easy. As we got into it, it was pretty daunting, you know, just with all the parties involved, with NASA, with the DOE, with Boeing, you know, and we're, you know, relatively inexperienced filmmakers and we're tackling on these guys. And, you know, that is pretty intimidating. And, we, you know, we did have some reservations, obviously. I think, you know, if you don't, then you're crazy. But um, I think, you know, if looking at what Melissa has been through, looking at what Lauren Hammersley has been through, the work that we have to put in, the journey that we're about to undertake is nothing compared to what they've gone through. And you kind of just have to remind yourself that every day right? and just tell yourself like, hey, these people have gone through so much worse than what you're going through right now. This mm-hmm. might be a tough journey and a tough job and, you know, a lot of work put into it. But at the end of the day, it's nothing compared to what they're going through. So we were grateful for the opportunity. We were grateful that the Hammersleys and the Bumpsteads were so open to letting us into their homes and, you know, documenting their journeys and letting us hang out with their kids and uh, who we all adore. And so it was a daunting, intimidating journey, but I'm so grateful that we decided to stick with it. And when Nicholas says a lot of work, every second of film, they were filming like so much more than that. Right. Eight hours per per minute, I, I would guess at least. I mean, they were really dedicated to the craft and making sure the accuracy was there. And I'm not a filmmaker, but still, I was just really impressed with how much work they did yeah. into it. Talk to us about that a little bit, Nicholas, because um, mm-hmm. shooting a documentary, you have like, obviously there's always too much footage. <laughs> you yeah. know, you have like dozens and dozens of hours of footage, but you have to tell a not only a precise and, and thorough story, but uh, mm-hmm. an entertaining, you know, something that's going to keep the audience engaged. Talk to us a little bit about working with Alex Bowes, your editor, who is a big friend of the film festival and a great editor. But talk to us about collaborating with him. At what point did you bring him in? Were you guys still shooting while you were editing this? So Alex Bose is really responsible for getting this project started and setting the tone for our project. He came on very early on. He wasn't able to stay on the project for the entire time just because we had no budget. We had no resources. So he sees these stories in a completely different way. He sees it in the cinematic way. His use of music is so perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And he really set the tone for our film. You know, we always wanted from the very beginning, like we always knew that Melissa was going to be the heart of the story. He's the one that really catapulted that. 
And I think the very first scene that we ever cut was by Alex. And it was where, Melissa, where you shave your head at the Ever After Ball. And what we talked about when we were cutting that scene was how, okay, this is where we see Melissa really giving herself over completely mm-hmm. to the cause and to her daughter's cause. And, you know, we're, we're seeing you change physically with your head being shaved, but we're also seeing you change internally and really just, you know, committing 100% to this. And that came about through just several conversations with Alex Bose and him kind of deciphering what, you know, the meaning of this of this scene. So it was really amazing seeing him work. And we're really grateful that he was able to, to kind of jumpstart the project. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most, well, unfortunately, it's, it wasn't surprising, but uh, one of the most painful mm-hmm. moments in the film was seeing facilities and problems like this all over the country. And also not surprising was that in in a lot of those places, it was moms leading the fight to get the sites cleaned up, not elected officials or the companies who should be responsible for this kind of stuff. Melissa, talk to us about your reaction as you learned that this was not just happening in your community, but is happening all over the country. This is going to sound bad, but to be honest, a little bit, I was relieved because mm-hmm. this whole time I was still in the back of my mind, slightly questioning, am I crazy? You know, am I making this up? Am I, you know, people said so many terrible things when I first started this and, and you know, I'm a fear monger and I'm just trying to justify my daughter's cancer and find someone to be mad at, you know, just all these terrible things. And then you start to see like, oh my gosh, this is real. In a sense, I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel so alone. Mm-hmm. I was, right. you know, selfishly grateful for that. It's so strange that this, isn't the headline of every newspaper in America every mm-hmm. single day. Right. You know, and it seems like there's so many reasons why why that's not happening. It a lot of it has to do mostly, you know, with these large companies and government who don't want anyone to talk about it. We find that Boeing put together their own PR strategy. They hired a firm and we actually happened to get a copy of it and you know, the the amount of detail they put into rewriting the narrative and working with reporters to, you know, counteract greenwash stories. And it is very intentional what is happening across America. But I think it's going to be up to the average Americans to stop it. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because those are also the people who have suffered the most from it, have the most powerful voices, and the burden is placed on them. It's not fair and it's not right. But we're hoping, you know, one of my hopes for this film is that when people see it, they'll realize you, know, you don't have to be Aaron Brockovich to change things. And even Aaron Brockovich's story itself is that she wasn't a superhero. She right. was an average she, woman. Yeah. She you didn't know? know she was Aaron Brockovich when she was uh, yeah. you know, starting this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that it is up to the moms and it is up to the dads to make the difference until enough people learn about what's going on and things do start to change. But, um, you know, there's going to be pushback and there's going to be pushback if there's Republicans or Democrats. Everyone mm-hmm. has their own slant on why things should keep going on the way they they have been. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard change. But I absolutely believe that things are going to change and, and get better in America. And, and it is going to be up to us who are exhausted. That includes people like Nicholas and Brandon and Derek to make that difference. I'm with you, sister. <laughs> the film has a really powerful ending. And I think to your point, Melissa, it, it makes the audience... It made me want to stand up and like get to work uh, mm. and, and support this cause. 
But Nick, whenever I have documentary filmmakers on, I, I just have mm-hmm. to ask, when do you know when to say stop? Because, uh, you know, like there's no real end, you know, th- there's no like, yeah. it's not a Disney movie script. There's no defined beginning and middle and end. You have to like kind of craft a way to frame the picture, the story and the message. So at what point did you know, okay, this is a good stopping point for us. And this is the message we want to deliver. I don't think we ever got to that point, to be honest with you. I think (laughs) when we were finishing the edit, we were getting emails and texts from Melissa, you know, weekly about Mm -hmm. new ways that Boeing was trying to get out out of the cleanup. And then more recently, it was NASA. So we were hearing new things all the time. And at just some point, yeah, I guess we just had to cut the cord a little bit and say, hey, this is I think releasing the the film is more important. You know, we have a lot of stuff in here already. And if we get too bogged down in the weeds uh, and the details of what's happening, you know, we'll lose interest from the audience. And like we said earlier, not a lot of people have heard about this. So getting the surface level information out there is really important too, just so they're so we can increase awareness. And we kept that goal in mind. You know, we need to get this out there so people know about it generally. And then, you know, leave it up to the audience to kind of look into it deeper on their own time. We had to keep that, keep the story in front of us a little bit and make sure we didn't get too lost into it. Because I think it's so, I think Denise said it to us in uh, off camera very early on that with Santa Susanna, like the devil is in the details. Right. And if you get bogged down with those details, I th- and I think that's been the problem uh, all these decades is that this is such a complex issue. There's so much to this that people lose interest. Mm-hmm. And the people, they zone out when you start talking about, you know, environmental impact statements and the difference between an environmental impact statement and an environmental impact report, or, you know, <laughs> right. you can kind of lose right. people's attention that way. And, and it's not by accident, right, that they make yeah. all that stuff super exactly. complicated. Oh my right? gosh. <laughs> and it's not by accident that they have these meetings on school nights at 4 p.m. so nobody can get right. there. And then yeah, they, you know, exactly. and they give a 45 minute presentation first of, of nothing. But, you know, I think what's really neat that Nicholas and I kind of have in common is when I first started getting involved, I realized in my community, all the facts were there. You know, we already had the 60% higher cancer incidence rate study done and the $40 million EPA radiological survey done. And it seemed like from an outsider's view, that this was a matter of scientists arguing over little facts, like kind of like, you know, how eggs are healthy for you one week, but next week they're not good for you anymore. And, right. then, you know, and nobody knows who to trust. And I realized that's where people needed to see the faces of the kids who are being impacted mm-hmm. and the heart of what's going on and who the real people are and that they're not statistics. You know, that's kind of why I chose to tell Gracie's story was people needed to see the heart. And essentially that's what Nicholas has done with his masterful storytelling is that it is about the details and the facts, but that is what the scientists should be doing. That is their job. Our job is to care about the people. Well, hypothetically, they should be caring about the people too, but people couldn't engage. They couldn't relate and say like, oh, that's like my family or what if that happened to my child? I guess I should care, you know? Right. With our organization, Parents Against the Santa Susana Field Lab, I mean, we've gone to extremes to be transparent, and to make sure we're accurate and honest and everything we can. So that way the community can trust us when we say NASA is lying. If you'd like, here's the 1,800-page report. We've highlighted all the places you can read what we're saying. But just in case you don't have time for that, would you please trust us? You know, 
that this is really bad. And I was, I was just really thankful that Nicholas helped capture how hard we've worked for that trust that we've built in the community. It's an incredible film. I could talk about it for another three hours, but I think the film stands on itself and I want people to go watch it. I just want to thank you both again for making it. And Melissa, thank you for all of the work that you do. If you need anything, please let us know. We'll be in contact with you from now on. And obviously we got our screening coming up, but thank you for being with us here today, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. In the Dark of the Valley, it's playing August 5th at the Lemley Town Center in Encino. Go to LADFF.com for tickets and info. You do not want to miss this documentary. Not only is it a great, great film, but it's pertinent to our lives and our health. So uh, so please check it out. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we return, Nick is going to hook us up with three film recommendations in our Gimme Three segment. The Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival is back. And for the first time ever, the festival will include both in-person and online screenings. Three in-person screenings will be held over three Thursdays starting July 29th with the musical rom-com Best Summer Ever held at the Lemley Town Center in Encino. August 5th, we're back in Encino for the theatrical premiere of the gripping documentary In the Dark of the Valley. And on August 12th, you'll be able to see the award-winning short films selected by our esteemed jury at the Lemley NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. Our online festival will be available at ladff.com from August 1st through 14th, with new films premiering every five days. Tickets for both in-person and online screenings are available right now at ladff.com. Use the promo code FORWARD for 10% off. We are so excited to see you all back at the movies. Join us for the 8th Annual Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. All right, welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We are here with Nicholas Mim. He's the director of In the Dark of the Valley, an incredible documentary that you could see August 5th at the Lemley Town Center in Encino. He's about to give us three film recommendations Films that have inspired him, inspired his work. Nicholas, let's get your first one, sir. So the first one, I can already see your audience rolling their eyes and saying, who is this guy? But um, <laughs> Jurassic Park is my first one. Well, if anybody rolls their eyes at Jurassic Park, they're... Just for the basic answer, not for the, oh, the movie quality. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, nah, dude, look, I mean, there's a reason why classics are classics, right? There's yeah, no, there's no qualms about it. But tell us specifically why you love Jurassic Park. What inspired you about that film when you were <laughs> little Nick? I remember seeing that movie opening day when I was four years old mm -hmm. and standing in line with my mom at the theater. And, you know, that movie just stuck with me ever since. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to point it back to our movie, I think even with all Steven Spielberg movies, he has this theme of ordinary people in extraordinary situations. And I really resonated with that when the first time I heard that. And I think that's just like a a really interesting way to tackle storytelling. And, you know, we definitely see that in, in our movie with Melissa. Melissa is just an ordinary mom, you know, with the world on her shoulders. So what gave us that insp inspiration was definitely, you know, the thousands of times that I've seen Jurassic Park and 
any Steven Spielberg movie. So it plays a huge role in everything that I do and will continue to play a huge role in everything that I do in the future. That's a great way to look at that film. We've talked about that movie a few times on this podcast and we never have looked at it through that lens, but you're totally right. And yeah, a lot of his work is through that lens. It's it's great. I also remember seeing this opening weekend when I was, uh, I think, four years old as well. And I remember <laughs> for at least half of it, my face was just like buried in my mom's arms because I was like so petrified of these dinosaurs at the age it's of amazing. The age of four. You can't go wrong with dinosaurs. It's an, it's an amazing movie. So. It, was, it was awesome. <laughs> What's also crazy is just like how much it holds up even compared to like you see the new Jurassic Park movies mm -hmm. and they look so fake. It's like you watch this movie that came out and came yeah. out in 1994 and it looks light years better than the new stuff. The CGI surprisingly holds up super, super well. Yeah. You know, we, Derek, Brandon and I, the, our, my producing partners, we listen to that soundtrack on, you know, on a regular basis. <laughs> so it, it's always kind of on in the background, especially when we were making our documentary. It kind of it eases the tension a little bit yeah. and you know, kind of takes you away. So always be grateful for that film. Excellent first choice, Nicholas. Let's get your second pick. My second pick was Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm, that's a Sonia Maru fave as well. Oh, is it? She, that's like one of her favorite She's films ever. Taste. Yeah. yeah. Talk to us about Beasts of a Southern Wild. Why do you love this movie? You know, that movie has always really resonated with me. I think because it's kind of shot in this guerrilla style documentary way, you know, it kind of showed me when it was released, like, okay, so you can make these fantastical films and not everything has to be on a dolly, not everything has to be on a tripod. Mm -hmm. It can have this kind of, rough feel to it but still be really magical you know i really liked that aspect of it and then also the musical score by dan romer is just unreal yeah um, that, that might be one of my favorite scores ever it's uplifting uh, we, it's great absolutely and when we were making our documentary you know i think everyone does this who, who's creating a project but you you have like you know your spotify playlist mm -hmm. And that, you know, kind of puts you in the mood and, you know, gets you in that mindset of your film. And a lot of his stuff is on there. A lot of stuff, Beasts of the Southern Wild is on there. So it really did kind of set a tone for us. It guided us tonally where we wanted to go. And that movie is just beautiful. And then also what I really like about it are the quiet moments in it. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, I think a lot of really great movies do this and they, they find times to uh, not have any dialogue and just kind of have this like atmospheric ambient sound design behind it and you, you see that a bit in this movie, and uh, we tried to emulate that a little bit with certain things in our doc. So we definitely stole quite a bit from it, and we'll probably continue doing that for the rest of my career because I really love that movie. It's a really just beautiful, tremendous film, and it's one of those movies that kind of like it gets better with each viewing. So mm -hmm. if you've seen it at home, it's worth a rewatch because it holds up, and you get to see all of the like nuanced details that. The filmmakers put into it and it's really really something special beasts of the southern wild excellent second choice as well nick okay you're two for two so you need to stick the landing here don't let me down so our third one again pertains directly to our our film and that's uh tower a 2016 documentary i don't know if you've seen it i have uh, not seen it so this is i'm excited it's an uh, amazing documentary about the really devastating shootings at university of texas austin in 1966 ah. yeah and so what we really loved about that film was that it's completely animated and it's a documentary. So that really inspired us to want to include animation in our film 
because they kind of showed us that it could be done Mm -hmm. really well with, you know, just interviews that we were getting with Melissa. You know, we didn't want to, she was telling us, you know, she was recapping a lot of personal stories that happened to her, like, you know, what happened in the hospital while Grace was in treatment. And so we didn't want to do recreations for these really personal stories that she was telling. So we decided to animate over them and do it that way and get, you know, kind of what her mental state was at the time when she was telling these stories. So and that's what Tower does. Tower does this magnificently. They, you know, I think they did hundreds of interviews for this film and eyewitness testimony of what happened in 1966. And because you can't, you have a big risk by uh, doing reenactments sometimes if they're done poorly, mm-hmm. it can be really yeah. cheesy. And so what they did was they they did kind of do these reenactments, but animated over them so that they had this really cool stylistic way of doing it. It was just kind of opened the doors for us. Um, when we were making our films it kind of showed us that you know this this stuff can be done and it can look really good and be really powerful so it was a great great tool for us when we were making ours i'm very excited to check it out it sounds awesome yeah it's an amazing amazing movie and it's really really powerful like i said they you know they animate over these interviews that they capture so uh you you really get to get to see things play out and how things played out in 1966 Yeah. Tower. I will check it out. I'm adding it to my queue list right now. Everybody should be adding to their queue list in the dark of the valley and they can see it August 5th at the Lemley Town Center in Encino. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for making a really incredible film. We're super proud of you. We're super happy for you. And, you know, hopefully we get this this film in front of as many eyes as possible so we can get everybody in on this fight, this very necessary pertinent fight but thank you for being here today thanks for having me and thanks to you and sonia for all that you guys do thank you brother thank you all for listening to film forward at home ladff.com for tickets and info on in the dark of the valley we'll catch you next time everybody our recording engineer and mixer is anselm kennedy the podcast is produced by anselm sonia maru and yours truly thanks for joining us on film forward and you'll hear us next time